Check, check, check. All right, everybody. All right, all right, yeah. I think you can hear me online. Special welcome to you online. Good to, well, I was going to say good to see you, but that's just a kind of autopilot response, isn't it, when, you're, when you can't see them. Good to be seen. Uh, good to, I know that some of you are out there, wish you could be with us. The day's coming. Uh, those of you who are here, thanks for staying. Um, yeah, we'll just jump right in. Um, what we heard today, uh, well, almost, we almost preached what we had last week and what we have this week in one sermon, but there's just so much in there. And then last week, I, uh, I, I was up to verse 7 or 8, and I looked at the clock. I had five minutes left to get the rest of it down, so I... I cut off a bunch, um, but uh, this week, um, what did we hear about today? We heard the supreme worthiness of Christ. John the Baptist was telling, one is coming, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. Um, if that doesn't say supreme worthiness, I, I don't know what does, and we, we saw the, Leonis, Leonard skillful, skillfully took us into um, the authority of Christ, and that's really good. We need to see his authority from the outset so that we know how to think of him going forward. Um, I forget how Leonard put it, but we need to see him like this so we know him, we, we know how he is. Um, because he's going to say some things that are later in the book, and we need to know that he is credible to say those things, and no one else is. Uh, he's not just some open-aired preacher. He's he he has all authority. Uh, we can, we can't even conceive of what that means. But he but you see God's humility and coming and coming down to us and um, and being patient and teaching us. You see his heart in that. His father heart. Seeing the father heart of God is is huge. Uh, and what else we see in this text? We see persecution. Um, we see God's Messiah endorsed by God. And we could do a whole sermon on the list of names, and it would be awesome. Um, but we see healing in that. We see um, fulfillment. So before we get going, um, does anybody have any questions? And I'll stop here and there. And uh, if you have questions online, um, leave a comment on our YouTube page if you can. Um, until we think of something better, maybe we'll supply an email to put on the bottom of the screen, and we can look at that. But here we go. Uh, unless there's questions. Anybody have anything? All right. All right. Verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them saying, and we'll stop there. So the people were in expectation. Um, uh, the people were ready for relief. Remember our boy Simeon? Uh, from a few weeks ago, Simeon and Anna, he was ready for Israel's consolation, and it had come. Uh, he, he received that peace after a time of um, just heaviness and weight, and it's relief after a time that you receive. And he got that when he locked eyes on Jesus. The Holy Spirit said, hey, that's the guy. Much the same as the Holy Spirit uh, caused the baby John in Elizabeth's womb to jump. There's this effect of Jesus coming into the room that changes everything. Um, so the people were ready for relief. They were thirsty. They were hungry. They're waiting for the consolation like Simeon. Um, everyday life, with or without Roman rule, is heavy and fractured. 
Um, and I like what Leonard, what we were talking about um, on the phone. He was saying, these, these people, they were coming out into the wilderness, um, and they were, they were, they wanted to get away from that Roman rule that was over them. And so, but they came out and they experienced John, and he preaches this just fire sermon. So they don't like they they come from one weight to another, and all that is to say like. You think, I, I just, I'll say this, I'll put it like this. Our felt needs are important, um, but the gospel is so much bigger than our felt needs. It's not smaller than our felt needs. God does care about the burdens and everyday things that are on our hearts. He does, absolutely. Uh, cast your burdens on the Lord, for he cares about you, First uh, Peter 5. Um, like, he wants to help you. He's given you invitation, but there you have a bigger problem, and that's your sin. We need to cross that difficult bridge first uh, before we get to it. Now, I know a lot of times we, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to go around it. We want to jump over it, anything. We don't want to deal with that stuff. Oh, I'm sorry, Luke 3. Yep, Luke 3, ver, uh, verses 15 to the rest of the chapter. Yep. Um, so what's the message they get when they, when they go out, the people being in expectation? Um, it's a message of repentance, like we talked about last week. Uh, shucking off the old parts that are causing strife in self and community. We might think that uh, the people thought, oh, if, I, if we could be our own person and be freed from others ruling us, we'd be happy. We also we all think we need this and this and this in place for us to be happy, but God always sees the deeper need, and he invites us into that first. That's why he doesn't answer our prayers in certain directions sometimes, and he keeps putting Jesus in front of you. Uh, but John the Baptist and God bring it to the heart. Um, the crowd, uh, bring it to the heart of the crowd. If we don't see repentance as a bad word, then we'll, uh, sorry, uh, the crowd, if we don't see repentance as a bad word, then we've, m- I don't know what I was going to skip over that part. Uh, oh. If we see repentance as, um, try- I want to put this the right way, otherwise I'll lose it. Um, a lot of us, it's meant to show that we have the desire to be forgiven, okay? We, sometimes we only get that far, but we don't have the desire to be changed. Those, your repentance is your change, Some, and that's the difference between worldly repentance and godly repentance. God be, puts a grief on your heart that leads to him. Worldly repentance is, I just, I don't want to change. I just don't want to feel how my act made me feel. But you you want to you be forgiven. You don't want to change. So his sermon from verses 7 and 9 in, in this chapter, it, hit, it hits its mark. What then shall we do? And he answers us, and, and he, the crowd in front of him, uh, 10 through 14. And so his answers hit their mark. You can go read uh, 10 through 14 at your convenience. But he talks to the whole crowd. He talks to the tax collectors. Excuse me. And he talks to the soldiers. And these are th- significant categories, and they are all saying 
what do we do? You know, the only people in the story that we know from other texts um, that didn't receive it were the people who were supposed to be teaching this stuff, the religious leaders. And all were questioning in their heart concerning John whether he might be the Christ. His answers, moral and practical, were revolutionary to the crowd. They questioned whether he was the Christ, after all. Um, Though they were black and white answers. Really practical stuff. If you're stealing, stop. You're like, oh, thought of that. Um, Practicality heals us from the gray that we get lost in when we overcomplexify black and white commands and statements. And God is always gets things right the first time. I think that's important to notice, uh, uh, to see in here. Throughout the scripture, um, like he doesn't make a lot of uh, emendations. He doesn't, cha- he, do- he doesn't need it. He gets it right from the first time. So like, I don't know, an example that's not, you gonna offend someone. <laughs> um, like his righteous standard stands. So we get into a, a we get into a day now where one of the most controversial verses in the Bible is in the beginning God made them male and female. Um, but our culture says no. There's forty nine other genders, and marriage is this. And um, but God comes along and He doesn't change for us. We're supposed to change for Him, and that's where we find our peace. And when we're constantly asking for our own way, it's like we're trying to import God into our life and have Him agree with the things that we already believe in. But repentance is the opposite than that. It's like, here, take this. I, I don't. This, hey, this hey, has Rick. always got me something else. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the comparison between uh, this this fellow Jim, who was the mechanic. Mm. And I came in, I had a lot of ideas about how you work on things, mm. had a lot of bad habits, had a lot of bad attitudes, mm. and uh, Jim just began the process of calling me out on each of them and said, basically, if you're going to work here, this is the way you do it, the right way. Mm-hmm. And, and, peop- and truck drivers would laugh. They would say, um, you know, there, there's the wrong way, and there's the way that everybody think is, thinks the right way, but then there's Jim's way. <laughs> and... But Jim got it done, and yeah. he did it with integrity, and he was one of those people that was very orderly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you use a tool, you put it, you wipe it off, you put it back exactly where you found it. And basically what he did was took a person who had a lot of things that he needed to leave at the door, mm-hmm. and he basically reformatted how I looked at that role. Yeah. And... You know, because it made me think about what you're trying to say, because uh, I struggle with it too. But mm-hmm. John's saying there's a way that is beyond the river, and you're not ready. Mm-hmm. And so he's calling out things that he knows in these different people groups, like the soldiers and the crowds and so forth, that he knows that it won't work. Right. That kind of stuff isn't going to work here. And I look at repentance kind of like that. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, there's a fundamental flaw inside of all of us. Yeah. And that's why it runs so deep. Mm-hmm. But that's why, you know, um, you think about, like, the second Adam as an opportunity to do it the right way as we do it in the Lord. Yeah, and thank God for him. Yeah.
So I guess that was my way of wrestling with that question. Yeah. That you know that you're wrestling. Oh, with and thank here. God for Jim too. You probably didn't like Jim a whole lot when you first At started. At first, I, I couldn't stand him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now I'm like, man, that guy was a blessing. Yeah. And, and what Wes, uh, I think I can say this. Wes Anderson and I were talking. We were comparing people in our lives like that, and he said, yeah, there was a guy in my life for a number of years that he he could be a real jerk. Mm-hmm. And a new employee would come, and, and in six hours out of the eight, he would say, you're not going to work here. And he would send them, <laughs> up, send them packing. But he said, you know, uh, in my new job, everything I learned about my work ethic and how to do things right was because of that guy. Yeah. And so you're grateful if you have a guy like that who calls you out. Yeah, yeah, we need that. Because it puts you in a better space that you don't even see when you're getting called out. There's a lot of proverbs on your comment right there that are yeah. that would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ki- the kisses of a oh wait the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of the enemy. Yeah. yeah. Your yeah. friends are the one who loves or who loves you the most. To yeah. The one who's for you, you know, they if they come against you in the right way. Yeah, I, I really liked what you said on the phone the other day about godly repentance as opposed to worldly repentance. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I found that out when God calls me out, and sometimes he calls me out through other people. And my ego says, I'm not having it. And then I step back and I say, well, I need to think about this. Yeah. And then I get into that better space as I take it, you know, more seriously. I see the weight of its significance. And then I'm like, I'm thankful. But you know what I want to come back to is a community of people that say, yeah, we called you out. We still love you. And how yeah. many Christians have been called out but not loved? Yeah. And that's why I think it's so hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, big conversation there. Big conversation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good takeaway. I mean, this is so rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, just to sum up, this shouldn't be used as a, uh, as a bat. This is more of a scalpel. A scalpel is still going to hurt, but it's going to get something good done. It's it's going to perform a surgery on us that uh, you didn't. When you woke up that morning, you didn't see it coming. But afterwards, wow, I'm glad that happened, even though I didn't enjoy it. Uh, sometimes, you know, that yeah. happens so that when you experience the word, when he does that surgery on you, um, and he, and in situations like this where someone's up here and they're giving you this there's a there's a there's a way to do it yeah all right so all right john was saying okay so as the people were in expectation and all were questioning their hearts concerning john whether he might be the christ um you go read John uh, 1.6, and it says, John came to testify about the light. He himself was not the light. But what he had just delivered in the, in the verses before this did enough uh, in their hearts to make them think. Like that authority that Leonard was talking about earlier that was just unique to Christ, and it was, it was unique to the rabbis. And then if, if you're going to be a Hall of Famer, like how many LeBrons are there? Or how many Jordans? There's only a few that stand out and will you'll know their names forever um this jesus coming out of and john the baptist as well just kind of coming out of left field when they they were already in place 
um, it surprised them. And Jesus comes out of left field. You don't see him coming. Um, and John answered them. See, John is not quick to take glory. If you go read uh, John 1, 2, uh, uh, John 1 as well, I mean, um, you'll see he must become more and more and I must become less and less. That's John's heart. He's not trying to, like, his preaching is not like a badge that he wears on his camel skin <laughs> uh, shirt, if you even have a shirt. Um, he was all about, completely abandoned to Christ. And so he, he responds uh, to their question. He says, John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water. Like, all I got is water. But there's one coming. And you, you see John the Baptist in the places where he is. He's in, he's in places, uh, when you meet him in Scripture, that have water in them. Um, I baptize you with water. But he who is coming, who is mightier than I, uh, who is mightier than I, is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Because he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Like, I got water. He has fire. He has God. He's going to put you in God. I, John can't do that. <laughs> um, he's pointing them in the right direction. He's making them susceptible to Christ. Like if Christ came on his own without this, uh, this pre-runner, um, how sidetracked they would be but John, remember, he catches their ears so Jesus can take their heart. Jesus was Redeemer, heart surgeon. Jesus goes deeper. We need to see Jesus like John saw Jesus. Or at least get on that path. Um, a lot of the time, I think we need to, or we think we need to get everything figured out and then start walking. The Christian walk is, I loved you when you didn't know anything. I loved you before you even knew who I was. I, I, I came and I loved you when you had nothing to do with me, even if your life said you had everything to do with me, even if you went and were with my church. I came to church my whole life off and on and for years and years before I actually met him. And uh, that's a lot of our stories. Um, maybe not all of us. Some, some of us might get saved in our friend's backyard. I don't know. But the text moves on. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Uh, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And we'll stop there for a sec. Um, the judge is just. Um, his judgment is sure and true. He's more than thorough. He's right. You can be thorough and still not be right. You can be thoroughly wrong. He knows exactly what we deserve, and that's why he came. Saying that suffering awaits. Uh, 
or humbly receive the free gift of life in this coming one, the only refuge, the ark of God, Christ. Ultimately, we get what we deserve, or Christ gets what we deserve for us on the cross, and you get what he earned. Those are our two options. And the good news John preached to the people was the Messiah was coming. He's our relief. When everything that you hear is so heavy on you, like I just, those were like two heavy sentences. Um, that's when, stop looking at your despair because you'll, you'll stay there. And you'll do something with it, but the only thing that is appropriate to do with it is to take it to God. Like that's the only remedy you're going to find. You might find some things that you can distract yourself with so you don't have to look at that. There's some things that you've always done or you can believe that I'm the exception to the rule, God grades on a curve. No. But the same good news is true for everybody. That Jesus has come. But John's message right now is what Jesus was coming. And once Jesus' ministry began, the gospel grew um, to the kingdom of God is among you. Not that, just the, that uh, the kingdom of God is coming, but that it's among you. And eventually it grew to its present and final state of the perfect person and work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, dead and resurrected. From he's coming to he's among you to I'm here to it is finished. That's the progression of the gospel. The gospel uh, is promised in the Old Testament. It's promised right after the fall in Genesis uh, 3.15. God adds a little bit to it um, as he goes, uh, always knowing what his plan's going to be. Uh, He doesn't divert until he gets to John and and then it goes a lot quicker and the gospel gets built uh, in Jesus' life. And it's everything that we need to believe today. And the scary thing is, when you hear stuff, like some, what if your whole life you believed what God doesn't need you to believe for salvation, and then you find out after your last day? That's a horrifying thought to anybody who has a pulse. <laughs> and so, it's so important to jump into difficult stuff like this. Because, God's always going to be pointing to his son. Best be following. Okay. So verse nine, does anybody have any questions? Comments? All right. Rich. Yes. Uh, I wanted to comment about how good it is. At the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes. As I was wondering that, I sense that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Yes. That's what brings us to Christ mm-hmm. for our salvation. And you get that comment about Herod when John the Baptist was condemning him because of his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. He had the Holy Spirit he would have been convicted of his sin. Not that it would have went away completely, but at least he yeah. knew he was doing wrong. Uh, now 
now we have the Jewish religion, and Christ is going to start convicting them. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. And the only way we can come to salvation is we honestly believe that we are sinners. Yeah. Most people don't feel that they're sinners. Yeah. And the scriptures does say, this is amazing. None are righteous. Or through Christ. And I believe this is what the Holy Spirit does. He wants that. That's his job, actually, to convict us about who Christ is. Yeah. And when we see that, Jesus, uh, that, that uh, God loves his only son, beloved son, makes it look like that Jesus isn't God. Jesus is going to eventually tell the Jewish religion that he is God. And yeah. a lot of people don't believe that, even in today's culture, religion. Yeah. So yeah. I, I sense that the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. Because when you read the Old Testament, it's all you got to do this, you got to do that, and other laws yeah. that are involved. They think they're saved. But it's still... And it's today, it's so simple. It, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I finished the rest of the verse, you shall be saved. I think that's the Holy Spirit talking in us. Yeah. And that's all yeah. I can say about as far as that Holy Spirit of fire. Yeah, there's, the, yeah, you, you put a lot into the room. There's a lot we could talk about in there. Uh, and it's tempting. <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk about some of it just with it. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 that, that's good stuff because we're about to talk about most of what you just, you know your Bible, don't you? You read ahead. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, it goes to Herod now. Um, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, by John the Baptist, uh, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked John in prison. So, um, reproved. Um, he wasn't silent. I mean, John the Baptist wasn't just pointing out all his flaws and piling on. He was, he was loving Herod with this. He was, a, like a friend tells you the truth. Like, the, like that, um, the, I need to look up where it is, but the proverb... Uh, that we mentioned yeah, just yeah, a few minutes ago. Yeah, you talked about um, it um, sweeter than honey. Was that was that was that what it was? Is that how it went? I it's can't remember. The 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 wounds of a friend are a, more a, faithful a, a, a than like the kisses healing. of the enemy. Yeah, yeah, like someone who's not tickling your ear. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like a healing balm or something like that. I kind of remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking about what you said again because it really it really stuck with me when you mentioned that the other day about godly repentance versus worldly repentance. Yeah, I can talk about that for a yeah. second. Yeah. And when it, you know kind of to Joe's point, you know, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness and the judgment. You know, yeah. we read about that in John. So, if God loved Herod, he would have yeah. called him out, which he did, but Herod was operating on a worldly yeah. point of view. So, so you kill the messenger. So, yes. Yes. Yeah. And and if it was godly repentance, it would be like, John, thank you for calling me out because I've not been 
My whole family's a mess. We need help. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we need an inter intervention. We'll see here in a moment. Worldly men, Herod, do worldly things to godly people. Um, and that's always been the case. Um, John the Baptist, head on a silver platter. Jesus, crucified for what he was saying. Peter, crucified naked upside down next to his wife. It ends bad for some of the most faithful, loving people. Um, and so we shouldn't expect us, I don't know, for the roll out the red carpet, the pedals in the air, like if we, to tell people the truth, I think this should be the tagline under our, <laughs> under the Luke series that what you said a few weeks ago. Just, I can't think of anything else better. First the truth. Yeah, for, I, I want to say a lot of stuff. First the truth makes you mad, then it sets you free. Yeah, we need, we need our gyms and we need, we need Jesus. Little <laughs> Jesus-like figure in your life. I first started reading the Bible and I was like, man, Jesus is mean. He's not. He's not mean at all. Um, all right, so faithful witness is always meant with worldly advancement. Um, so we have to be bold. Um, Steve Lawson, he's a guy, he's a modern-day uh, preacher these days, so I appreciate. He uh, works with Ligonier a lot of the time. He said the problem with, uh, he said pastors because he is a pastor and he leads pastors. But the problem, I'll just say, I'll change his quote a little bit. The problem with Christians today is that no one wants to kill them anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, although we do, we do that to each other's reputations. We get mad. We, but God understands that too. He does. Um, nothing's unforgivable. And, and so everything should be understandable for us. Um, we are promised power. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit from a, from a, from a non-timid spirit who the righteous are bold as lions um, to the point where we're ripped apart by them in persecution. Not that we live in that day anymore, but in the, uh, in the early church, Christians were not treated well Emperors would light their gardens with Christians, human torches, and a bunch of grisly stuff. Fed to lions, uh, Nero had got really creative with how he killed Christians. Um, it's pretty grisly stuff. I mean, the time we're living in now, this is what's unique. The last 200 years or so, where we're allowed to do this and read this, like this is the time that's different. Maybe we're going back to normal when this is worked against. Um, but don't blink. Have fixed eyes. Keep your lamps lit. It's worth it. We, we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, and John is after our repentance. God is after our repentance. And yeah, there is, uh, there's godly repentance and there's worldly repentance. And... Um, Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, starting in verse 8. 
He, he writes the Corinthians this letter. We don't know if it's 1 Corinthians or if it's another letter that we got that we don't know about. Um, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did. He did regret it for a moment. For I see, he's seeing the fruit of the letter that he wrote. For I see it, I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. He lets him sweat for a little bit. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. It led somewhere. That's what godly repentance is as he begins to unpack it. It doesn't... Actually reminds me, I have... uh, Keep this post-it in my wallet. I have to go through all this money here to find it. Hold on, sir. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) Repentance isn't groveling. You repent when you agree with God that your sin is wicked and flee to the only one who can do helpless sinners any good. After sin, after you sin, don't grovel for a week, but run immediately to the Savior who came into the world, as 1 Timothy 1.15 says, to save sinners. I think that was Paul Washer I got that from. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Repentance only is only repentance if you turn to God. It's not repentance if you turn to something else. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss from us. I mean, you, weren't, you didn't distance yourself from the church. This is you being the church. You, sometimes we sin and we think that our sin disqualifies us from the church, but the fact that we repent shows us that we are the church. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Jesus took all the things that you regret and all the things that you don't that you still shouldn't be doing. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For we see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But, we all, uh, but, we all, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. You feel that when you sin or when you realize your sin sometimes, what he's talking about here, this indignation towards sin, this, this fear of the Lord, and this is what we were talking about the other day. There's this fear that happens when, you, uh, when God makes you aware of your sin, when you, come, when you see um, the Holy Spirit, yep, like that scene in the movie you probably shouldn't watch, Clockwork Orange, when they make him, they make him watch. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. Um, and they make him look. Uh, this is how you know it's, it's God leading you. There's, like, there's a sweetness in the, in the repentance, um, in, 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 the, in the fear, because you start to fear God, and you know it's, you know it's Satan when you're, he moves you away from God, accusing you and your fear causes you to go away from him. You know it's God and the good fear, the fear of the Lord, there's the sweetness to it that brings you to him, that makes you start crying for mercy, not just crying, but crying for mercy. You'll see that whenever we get to the tax collector and, uh, uh, what's that called, the parable? Um, the tax collector, oh, the, 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 the rich young ruler and the tax collector, yeah. He's going to be unworthy, crawling, crying, can, couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. 
but the other one, he's not, he's not, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, all right, verses, And when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Trinity is active in salvation. God the Son, um, the Son of God, Son of Man has the Spirit's indwelling and the Father's endorsement. So you see the Trinity in these, in these uh, two verses. Um, the Father ordains salvation, the Son accomplish it, accomplishes, it, accomplishes it, and the Spirit applies it. That's how it works. He does that through when you hear the gospel. Um, you're either convicted, and he, he, brings the, he cultivates that good kind of fear that brings you on him. He draws you in. And... You, you, you see yourself as, you, as a sinner, and you see him as Savior. You understand um, what's at stake, so to speak, even if you don't have all the words to maybe understand it with, but you, 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 you know. And all of a sudden, there he is, here I am. Or complete opposite. You harden your heart. Yeah. There, there was something kind of cool that I'd like to share about that part of the text. Yeah. As you look at Jesus being anointed as a king and given the spirit in that, in that whole process, when you, when you look at those passages in 1 Samuel 9 and 10, yeah. uh, the spirit, uh, he's anointed by the prophet Samuel, and then um, the spirit comes upon him. And it says it was as if he were a different man is what the scripture says, yeah. which is real interesting. Um, but what obviously the Holy Spirit and Saul didn't get along very well because he was living out of alignment with God's purpose. Yeah. And, um, you know, you find when Jesus was given the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a similar pattern of coronation involving the, the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus was totally aligned with God's purpose and intentionality. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing that was kind of kind of interesting was when you look at um, at Joshua four, when they when they go at that same place, that all everybody goes through the the Jordan River after it's parted yeah. into the Promised Land, and the priests come last. And then it says, when the priest came up out of the water, the, the waters receded. And Luke uses that very same language. When Jesus came up out of the water, you know, that, that's when he prayed and then the Holy Spirit came down on him. So there's something about a parallel between not only the imagery of going across the threshold into the promised land being repeated, only now it takes on a completely mm-hmm. radical meaning with Jesus to um, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the King Saul, who obviously was the first, even with David, in the succession of a, many kings all the way to Zedekiah, where it was just a failure, mm-hmm. you know, and 
David kind of being the exception in a lot of ways. There's a few others, but David, um, who in Second Samuel seven was called the Son of God, who would sit on the throne. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of lot of stuff in their imaginations that kind of comes to the forefront as they're processing in hindsight what just happened here. Mm-hmm. You know, all those Old Testament yeah, identity yeah. things that um, shape their understanding of what it meant to call a king or what it meant to come up out of the Jordan River. They knew those stories well, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, is it's re-dramatizing that, only giving it a, a new meaning. Yeah, yeah, the, those things that you're, that Jesus is echoing is they're foreshadowing everything in a way. Yeah. And giving people, kind of creating in people a category for Jesus to fill ultimately. Yeah. Right? Well, I think in some ways it's, he's, re- he's returning back to the memory of their formative identity. Yeah. Only to come back to the present and say, we are reshaping your identity. Mm-hmm. And it is as if a man, as if he's a different man in a sense when he had the Holy Spirit, Jesus was the same man, but there was something different about him that was dramatic because I think it was, it was now the engagement of the Holy Spirit in the process for all the ministry work that came up. But also think about how the Holy Spirit reanimates the man of dust yeah. so that we can now be the men and women of heaven. I mean, honestly, we would not be able to live as the second Adam without the empowering presence, the life-giving presence of the Spirit. Yeah, the, the Holy Spirit is an es- is the essential piece that makes us yeah into Christ. You know, he, he, he needs to be where he is for us to be able to be where we're going. Yeah. He needs to come now. He's, the, he's that presence of God on the planet now yeah. in, in us. And you that remember that scene in Ezekiel where because Luke talks about the temple a lot, so you got to kind of pay attention not only to authority but the, the, the temple. And so you remember that scene in Ezekiel where God leaves the temple and they yep. called it Ichabod, and it was like, we got the temple, but it's lifeless. And it's just a metaphor for who we are outside of Christ and being embodied by his presence through the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So all that imagery kind of comes alive in your in your understanding of who you are now. Yeah. It's just so good. And it enables us to understand all of that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And all of this. There's no understanding this apart and, from the and Holy our, Spirit. And our big challenge yeah. as pastors and elders is to help our people tune into that, to see it and to become part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's, it's exciting that we get to do stuff like this. Yeah. It's exciting that we get to have access to this. Yeah, for sure. Let alone anything else that might come from having access to it, yeah. which the Holy Spirit is behind, so we can't kind of look to ourselves or anything, and we have to give all glory to God. Yeah, but you're, you're talking about the cleansing of the temple here mm-hmm. by repenting. Yeah. So that we can free up space for him to inhabit. Yep. Um, so anyway. I could go on, but I'll just leave it there. <laughs> it's okay. We we got we got two minutes left, so I'll yeah. just put this just to talk about this uh, last segment of scripture, this genealogy. And uh, look, we get to these 
segments of scripture where it's just a bunch of names and they're hard to pronounce and they kind of tie our head in a knot and we're just kind of read past them to to get to the next part when the narrative picks back up again, but they're in the Bible, right? Um, and we could, these names don't feed our souls until we appreciate how meticulous God's, uh, the plan of God is and the thorough record keeping of the Jewish people. This builds our trust and the authenticity of scripture because I know I go to read First Chronicles, and there's like, I don't know, eight chapters of just names. But th- think about yeah. like people who get on Ancestry.com, yeah. and they find out, oh, I'm from this part of the world or whatever. And then you wonder how many of them went there to like the Mormons to find out their genealogy. Yeah. Like who, who's, who's the who's who in my history? Yeah. There's, there's. Yeah, it's just a list of names. There's no, there's no action steps in this. There's no huge, well, I don't want to say that. I was going to say there's no huge attribute of God, but there is. There's sovereignty, um, and that's a huge attribute of God. Um, but you see, um, we see, go, we see, this was always God's plan, you know, because it goes right back to Adam. So he preserves his plan. Go read Ephesians 1. He started his plan before Adam. But that gets us into a bunch of different territory. Yeah. That, that, uh, that's actually yeah. key for uh, Luke's understanding of the mission of what, why Jesus came, that it applies to everybody. You know, like when you read Matthew, it stops with Abraham. Yeah. You know, because it's talking to Jews mm-hmm. and trying to show them why he's the Messiah based on how all these texts sort of back that up. But when you read in Luke, it's like Luke's saying, um, actually, Jesus, Jesus is... Good news is for all humanity going all the way back to the son of God, you know, the one who, uh, the God who said to his son when he was baptized, this is my son. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much validation there that it, 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 it all begins with him Yeah. for all of humanity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just so good. To bring it, yeah. And for Jesus to have God's own endorsement, what else do we need to believe that he's the Messiah? Woo. Um. And that he he's the last Adam. He's ending this line of sin. He's ending this, uh, and he's he's creating a new family out of this last man. And you can go read Romans five. Um, there's a lot through, in it there. Thirteen through fifteen, kind of. And I, I got a bit more, that. but I, it's yeah. after eleven. So sure. um, there's um, look big points about this list of names. Jesus had a messed up family too. Um, we got all. And it's probably a lot worse than yours. Uh, you read Genesis, and it's like an episode of Jerry Springer. And and these guys are just, but God uses them. God uses just complete disasters to accomplish, and he brings it all up to Christ, who is a disaster in no way, shape, or form. And yes, he, how does Genesis, speaking of end, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. That's the cross. That's a picture of the cross right there. And all this evil that takes place, there's some integrity in here. There's some things that get done well, but ultimately all these men are in Adam. And God brings them, brings it all up to Christ. And there's a lot to, that we could unpack about it, but main points are right there so father thank you for your word 
Thank you for how good you are. Thank you for allowing us to see you. We, 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 we look at these letters, these words, and sometimes we can't see past them, but you allow us to go, you invite us in by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit, for doing your work and doing it so faithfully, so well, um, perfectly, in fact, even though we are imperfect and we don't understand perfectly. So I have to believe it's your perfect will that we understand what we do here and now, but the invitation is always to come in further. You're a relational God. You branded us as sons, daughters, because of what you've done through your only begotten son. Help us to look into this and see you. Every time we read our Bible, Old Testament, New, help us to see the gospel. Help us to see the Christ of the gospel. Continue to form us. And thank you that you're doing that very work. Just help us to be humble and susceptible to your will being done and a hunger for your word and a satisfaction in the things that you speak to us because you're, you're building us and you're shaping us. Shape us to be tools for you and to glorify your name and enjoy you chiefly. It's for your wonderful and perfect name we pray. Amen.